the Lord visited Sarah, we are told, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So finally, we hear this wonderful news that Sarah has had a son. The tension concerning Sarah's barrenness had been building ever since it was first mentioned in verse 30 of chapter 11. There we read, Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. And that tension has increased with the passing of time and with each promise uttered by the Lord concerning a child for Abraham and for Sarah. Now, those promises which were reiterated and clarified from time to time would have been comforting to Sarah and Abraham, no doubt about that. But I think they probably also increased the anticipation now, the question in their minds, and indeed the question in our minds as we read this narrative is, when, Lord? When is it going to happen? When will Sarah and Abraham have this child? Certainly, time is running out for them. So finally, the time has come. The text says the Lord visited Sarah. Uh, this indicates that the birth of Isaac was supernatural. It was not a virgin birth, as it was with the birth of Christ. Indeed, Isaac was conceived by the ordinary means of procreation, but it was supernatural and miraculous nonetheless. The Lord visit, visited Sarah, we are told. She was now 90 years old. She had been barren her whole life. Abraham was 100. And the Lord miraculously enabled her to conceive. When we read verses 1 and 2, I wonder if you noticed the emphasis upon this being in fulfillment to the promises of God. Hear it again and look for that emphasis. The Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so three times in these two verses we hear this emphasis. These things happened in fulfillment to the promises of God. And I wonder, have you ever wondered, when considering this text or others like it, why the Lord made Sarah and Abraham wait so long for their son? Why does the Lord make us wait? Why did He make them wait so long for their son? And I suppose we'll never know all of the reasons. There are secret things that belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are secret things, mysterious things that we'll never know the answer to. But I think it is safe to say at least three things concerning the waiting, concerning the delay. These three things, I think, at least were accomplished. One, the faith of Abraham and Sarah was being tested in that time as they waited for the, for the fulfillment of this promise. The question is, would they go on believing the Lord when the fulfillment of His promises seemed absolutely impossible to them? Would they persevere in the faith with the passing of time? Their faith, I think it is obvious, was being tested so that it might also be strengthened. Faith, that is true faith, it gets stronger when it is tested. Faith, that is true faith, gets stronger with the passing of time. And I think Abraham and Sarah's faith grew stronger as it was tested during this period of their lives. And friends, I think there is a point of application for you and me here. The Lord allows our faith to be tested from time to time, doesn't He? This He does in a variety of ways. But if our faith is true, 
then the testing is for the purpose of strengthening it. Just as the body and the mind will not grow stronger if they are not tested, neither will will our faith. Faith, if it is true faith, grows stronger when it is tested. Faith, if it is false faith, will wither before the heat of the trials and the tribulations. Let me read 1 Peter 1, 3-7 to you, which makes this very point. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And then he says this, In this you rejoice, though now... For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why, Peter? Why does God allow this? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we see here that Abraham and Sarah's faith was tested as the fulfillment of To this promise was delayed, but it grew stronger with the passing of time. Two, I think the ability of the Lord to bring life from death was also put on display as Sarah and Abraham waited long for their promised son. This would have not been put on display if immediately they received the promises, at least not as powerfully. But I think the ability of the Lord to bring life from death was put on display as Sarah and Abraham waited long, as they aged, and it became apparent to all who looked in, this is impossible from a human perspective. It's impossible that they will have a son, and yet God brings life from death. I think you would do well to notice that barrenness is a theme that is found throughout the book of Genesis, and not just here in this story. Do you remember that the earth was barren? That is to say, it was empty and void when it was first created. Do you remember that as we studied there, Genesis chapters 1 and 2? And yet the Lord formed it into a place suitable for life, particularly human life. He brought life out of death. He brought order out of disorder. For 90 years, Sarah was barren, and now she is able to conceive because the Lord visited her. Notice also that Rachel, the wife of Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham, she was also barren. You can see this for yourself in Genesis twenty-nine thirty-one, And yet she was enabled to conceive also. The Lord seems to be communicating here something to us in these historical events that, that He is the God who is able to bring life from death. In each instance, the Lord overcomes barrenness and makes that which is dead to live. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has done the same for you and me, hasn't He? Indeed, for all who have faith in Christ Jesus. He has taken that which is dead, and He has made it alive. Remember that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What the Lord did for Sarah's womb, He has done for your soul. You were dead, according to the soul, but God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. He he visited you, didn't He? And by His Spirit, He enabled you to believe. He has opened your blind eyes, unstopped your deaf ears, and He has breathed the breath of life into your lifeless soul. By grace, you have been saved. 
the ability of the Lord to bring life from death was put on display as Sarah and Abraham waited long for their promised son. Three, the faithfulness of the Lord was also demonstrated to Abraham and through him to the world as he and Sarah waited long for their promised son. The Lord is faithful. He always keeps His promises. He cannot change His mind. He cannot lie. The people of God sometimes doubt His faithfulness with the passing of time. But the story of the long-awaited birth of Isaac demonstrates that God will always keep His promises. He will always come through, even if the wait seems unreasonably long to us. And brothers and sisters, I want you to notice that this is how Paul the Apostle interpreted and applied the story of the birth of Isaac in his epistle to the Romans, chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. Listen carefully to his words as he looks back upon this story and applies it to the church in Rome. He says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his, that is to say, Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom we, he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the promises of God were indeed fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. The Lord was found faithful, and Abraham Abraham obeyed the Lord, didn't he? He circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. For circumcision was the sign and seal of that covenant which the Lord had transacted with Abraham. Notice also the joy in this text. Notice the joy that all of this produces, the faithfulness of God. Indeed, it is a very joyous thing to see the fulfillment of the promises of the Lord. And what do we see here? Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Do you remember the last time we heard of Sarah's laughter? Anyone? It was a laughter not of joy, but it was a laughter of what? Disbelief. But here... It is joyous laughter. By the way, the name Isaac means he laughs. And so there is a play on words taking place here in the text. Indeed, the birth of Isaac caused Sarah to laugh with joy, just as the announcement of the eventual birth of Isaac caused her to laugh previously with disbelief. Not only was this the joy of having a child after so many years of barrenness, but also it was joy for her in seeing the promises of God fulfilled in their proper time. God is faithful. His promises were fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. 
From the joy of verses 6 and 7, we transition rather abruptly in this passage to the pain and sadness of verses 8 through 21. The first story is a happy one. The second story here in this chapter is a very sad story. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon today. Brothers and sisters, consider carefully the pain caused by the sin of Abraham and Sarah committed years earlier along with God's mercies. Perhaps as many, three, as, many as three years had passed from the birth of Isaac to the events narrated to us in verses 8 through 21. Uh, for verse 8 says, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Children in that culture were sometimes weaned as late as three years of age. So perhaps Isaac was three, and that would put Ishmael at the age of 16. So can you picture the scene there? Sarah with her little boy, the toddler, Isaac, and Hagar with her boy, who's no longer really a boy, but a young man, Ishmael, age 16. Notice that Ishmael is called a boy and a child in this passage, but the Hebrew word can also be translated young man. It's a very flexible word, and I think that's how we are to visualize Ishmael. He is a young man by this time. In verse 9, we learn that at the feast that Abraham made for Isaac, Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. The Hebrew word translated laughing here in verse 9 is the same word that was translated as laugh in verse 6. And so again, there is clearly a play on words here. Isaac's name means he laughs. Sarah laughed in disbelief at one point. Now she laughs with joy. Now there is a different kind of laughter taking place. We see that Ishmael is is laughing. The Hebrew word can either mean to laugh with joy or to laugh in a mocking way. Sarah laughed with joy at the birth of Isaac, but notice how Ishmael is found laughing. He is not laughing with joy. He is not celebrating the promises of God fulfilled the way that Sarah was. But instead, he is laughing as if to mock Isaac, the son of promise. How do we know this? Well, the context makes this clear here in Genesis 21. But also, this is the interpretation that the New Testament gives. For Paul refers to this laughter of Ishmael as persecution in Galatians 4.29. This is a passage we read at the beginning of the sermon, but I'll read just that one verse. There we read in Galatians 4.29, But just as that at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that is Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. And so Paul sees the laughter of Ishmael as a laughter of persecution. It is a mocking laughter. He has disdain for the promises of God fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. You can kind of understand where this came from, can't you? Isaac, Ishmael is now 16. He is Abraham's son after all. And in fact, for a long time, I think Abraham and Sarah both hoped that he would be the one through whom God would fulfill His purposes and His promises. But here, at least for the last three years, Ishmael is beginning to come to terms with the fact that, no, Isaac is the chosen one. He is the son of promise, and who knows what was going on within this young man's heart. But he looks upon the boy, and he mocks. He laughs in a mocking way. It was not innocent laughter. Ishmael was mocking the boy and was known to persecute him in some way. And Sarah, the mother 
of Isaac knew this intuitively, didn't she? Maybe this is a mother's intuition here. She saw the scene and she said, I know exactly what is going on here. This is not good. But Ishmael wishes, in fact, my son harm. So she suggests that he uh, be sent away. More than that, she demands it. She demands that Ishmael, the son of the bondwoman, be sent away from the son of promise. Verse 10, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. I, I do imagine her saying this with some intensity in her voice, don't you? Uh, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. But notice that this situation and this what recommendation from Sarah, it grieved Abraham to the core. It grieved him to the core. You have to put yourself in his sandals, don't you? Imagine this. He's grieved to the core. In verse 11 we read, And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, referring to Ishmael. And so no doubt Abraham loved Ishmael very much. And the thought of sending him away with Hagar at the age of 16, it grieved his heart. Here is the application for us, friends. Have you ever noticed that our sin often, if not always, has consequences? Real life consequences. Have you ever noticed that sin, our sin, our Violation of the law of God, our want of conformity unto it, or our violation of the law of God. It makes life messy and it makes life complicated. Sin always entangles us. It trips us up. It wounds. It divides. Sin, again, which is any lack of conformity unto or violation of the law of God, always has consequences which grieve the heart and infuse life with a bitter taste. Do you want a good and pleasant life? Then keep God's law. Notice that I did not say that life would be without struggle altogether if we keep God's law, for even the righteous suffer in this world. But I am saying that an obedient life is a blessed life. To walk with God in obedience to Him in this world is a blessed experience. It produces a blessed life even if it is a difficult life, marked by suffering. And indeed the Scriptures teach this as true, saying, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. What is the text teaching us here? That a man, a woman who loves God's law and lives according to it, is going to be blessed of the Lord, even if his life brings much pain and suffering, involves much pain and suffering. It will be a blessed experience if we are living in obedience to the commandments of God. Sixteen years earlier, Abraham and Sarah decided that God needed their help. Do you remember that story? They concocted a plan involving Sarah's bondwoman, Hagar. Perhaps God would give Abraham a son through her, they reasoned. After all, it was clearly impossible for Sarah to have a son. It's just never going to happen, they thought. And now, Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael are reaping some of that bad fruit which was sown so many years earlier. 
It really is a very sad story if you stop to think about it. And I think it would be a good idea for you to stop and to think about this story, to put yourself in their sandals and to take the position of each of the characters in this story and to look at the situation from their unique perspective. And if you do, you will see that the situation was sad and painful for each one of them, but in different ways. I'm sure that each one of them, Abraham and Sarah, Hagar and Ishmael, I'm sure they shed many tears in the days in which the bitter fruit of the sin of Abraham ripened. So put yourself there and see that our sin always brings consequences with it. It makes life messy and difficult. And so, brothers and sisters, I wonder if you would learn from this story. I wonder if you would learn from the scriptures that the wages of sin is death. Or... Will you be one of those who has to learn the hard way? That is to say, that you learn by experience. You do understand that there are two ways to learn this truth, that sin is bitter. There are two ways to learn it. You can learn it by believing, or you can learn it by experience. And I say to you that it is much better to learn it simply by believing the Word of God. Yes, I see from the Scriptures and from my observation of the world around me that it is a blessed life to live in obedience to God's Word. And to live in disobedience to Him brings much pain and suffering. Proverbs 2, 1 through 22. Listen to God's Word. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the evil way, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delighting in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, From the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Do you hear the way that the proverb here exhorts us to receive the words of God and to treasure them up in our hearts and to live according to them faithfully? There is blessing found in that, brothers and sisters, but there is much sorrow found in the way of the wicked. I'll let you read this story again for yourself, the story of Genesis 21, so that you can more thoroughly consider all of the pain that the sin of Abraham caused once that bad fruit had fully ripened. But there is something else I would like to emphasize before moving on to the third and final point of this sermon. And that is that God shows mercy to His covenant people, even as they suffer 
under the consequences of their own sin. God shows mercy to His covenant people even as they suffer under the consequences of their own sin. You ask, well, where do you see that in this text? I think there are two places. One, notice that the Lord did speak to Abraham to give him clarity over what he should do as he agonized over the decision that was before him. There he was in agony over the thought of having to send Ishmael away. What should he do? But in verse 12, God spoke to Abraham and said to him, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And so God, in his mercy, Abraham made a mess of things, didn't he? He did. But God, in his mercy, spoke to Abraham to help him know what to do as he stood there perplexed in this messy situation. And he also comforted him concerning Ishmael, whom he undoubtedly loved as a son, saying, I will make a nation of him because he is your offspring. So here we see that though Abraham and Sarah made a mess of this, God is present and he is showing mercy to them. Two, I see this also on display in his care for Hagar and Ishmael. Evidently, uh, they went away and they got lost in the wilderness. It's hard to imagine that Abraham sent them away without adequate provisions. I think he gave them plenty of water and food, and they went away. But they found themselves without water because they got lost, I think. Hagar thought Ishmael would die, and so she left him in the shade and walked away from him because she could not bear to witness the death of her son. This is a very grievous situation. But what does the text say? Again in verse 16, the Lord appears to her even. And as she lifts up her voice and as she weeps, God heard the voice of the boy. So evidently they're both doing the same thing, calling out to the Lord. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Don't you love it how the Lord sometimes asks us obvious questions, not because He does not know, but because He wants us to articulate our problems, our concerns to Him And what does the angel of the Lord say? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. Evidently, she did not notice it before. Sometimes they were kind of hidden, by the way, not obvious wells, but covered by a rock or something. But she sees it now. And then she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. And so I am saying to you, do you see that in the midst of all of this pain and suffering, which was the result of sin, God was merciful to His covenant people. He was merciful to His covenant people. Now, if I had more time, I would go to Galatians 4, 21 and following, which was read at the beginning of this sermon. And I would explore how Paul interprets this event. Do you remember me reading that text? When he looks at Isaac, the son of Sarah, and Ishmael, the son of Hagar, what does he see? He sees two covenants represented. Pay special attention to that. He sees two covenants represented. And I am saying that this agrees with what I have said earlier concerning Abraham needing to be considered in a double capacity. Do you remember that from previous sermons? There are two aspects to the Abrahamic covenant. One is fleshly, 
and one is spiritual. One is earthly and one is heavenly. In Abraham, there are two kinds of offspring. There are children of Abraham according to the flesh, and there are children of Abraham according to faith in the promise. Ishmael descended from Abraham according to what? Only the flesh. Ishmael descended from Abraham according to the flesh. He laughed at the promise, did he not, in a mocking way. But Isaac was the child of promise. Through him the nations of the earth would be blessed. And what did the apostle say to the Christians in Galatia? Most of them being Gentiles, by the way, and not Jews. He said, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Galatians 4.31 This is all very important if we are to understand the story of the Bible, and if we are to know the relationship between the Abrahamic, Mosaic, and New Covenants. But explaining that in detail would take too much time today. And maybe I'll recommend a book in the not-too-distant future. For now, I am content to say, brothers and sisters... Look at this story and consider the mercy of God shown to sinners, even as they agonize under the weight of sin which they themselves committed. This should not be difficult for you to apply to your own lives. I've already shown you that sin carries consequences. And you are probably thinking to yourself, no kidding. I've experienced all of that firsthand And if you are advanced in years, you would probably say, I've experienced that firsthand over and over and over again. Sin carries consequences. But here I'm wanting to emphasize another more comforting truth, that God does not abandon those who belong to Him, even as they struggle underneath the consequences of their own sin. He does not turn His back on them because they have sinned. Far from it, He is in fact full of mercy and grace. He draws near to His covenant people to sustain them, even as they suffer the consequences of their sin. Did you notice in the text that Abraham is there agonizing and God speaks to him? It is God who approaches. And there is Hagar and Ishmael and there they are agonizing in their situation and God speaks to them. I cannot say the same for the one who is not in Christ though. Those not in Christ suffer in this world, but without the hope that the Father is using it for their good. But those in Christ know for sure that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good. We know this for those who are called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28. And we are encouraged that even the discipline of the Lord is for our good. Even the discipline of the Lord is for our good. Hebrews 12.5 asks, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate sons and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. 
But He, our Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that true? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, the writer of the Hebrew says. Stand up, brother and sister. Yes, you might be suffering under the consequences of your own sin, but trust that the Lord is even using that for good if you belong to Him in Christ Jesus. He is disciplining you even now through that experience. So stand up, lift your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees. Know that God is bringing about good even through this experience you are now in, for He is merciful and gracious. He is so kind to His children. So, brothers and sisters, our sin has consequences. It produces turmoil and pain, but God is gracious still. He often uses even the natural consequences of our sin to discipline us if we are His children. And this He does because He loves us in Christ Jesus. The third and final point is going to have to be very, very brief. As we look upon verses 22 through 34, let us simply consider the constancy of the Lord to be present with His covenant people in their sojourning. Let us consider just that. Here in this story, Abimelech and the commander of his army come to meet with Abraham to enter into a treaty with him. More could be said about this passage here, but let's confine it to only three brief remarks. One, in verse 22, Abimelech and his commander approach Abraham saying, Notice, God is with you in all that you do. Even this non-believing king was able to recognize that God was with Abraham. In other words, Abraham was blessed of the Lord and he saw it. I think Abimelech is a kind of counter to Ishmael. When Ishmael considered the blessing of Abraham and the promises of God given to him, he scoffed at it. But here comes Abimelech, even this wicked king. I don't know if that, maybe that's too strong. This non-believing king. For sure, And he says, I can see it. God is with you in all that you do. This, secondly, is to be contrasted with what we just learned about Ishmael. Ishmael, the son of the flesh, mocked the son of promise. He thought little of the blessing of the Lord upon the house of Abraham. But Abimelech, the foreign king, saw it. He saw that Abraham was blessed of God. And this seems to indicate that this same sort of thing will happen in the future. This seems to indicate that the same sort of thing will happen in the future. I hope you're able to track along with me here. But here is the, the picture that is being painted. Some who would be born from Abraham's loins in the future would be like Ishmael, who misunderstood and mocked the promises of God made to him and the blessing of God that was upon him. But others who were not born from Abraham's loins who were not of his clan, but were of the nations, would in fact come to Abraham and say, you're blessed, I can see it. And I think this is how things play out in the history of redemption. This is how things would go even with the nation of Israel, ethnically speaking. Not all within it would have the faith of Abraham. Not all would understand and receive the promises of God. Some would be only descendants of Abraham in a fleshly way, but They would not have faith. But some would believe upon the promises of God. And indeed, now that 
things have fully developed and we have come to the new covenant era, we see that many people have, though they have not descended from Abraham according to the flesh, come to Abraham and said, you're blessed. We have your faith. We share in it. Your God, Abraham, is our God, though we be Gentiles according to the flesh. Three, the text concludes with these words, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. And I think this reminds us that Abraham was promised not only a son, remember he was also promised what? Land. And who does that land belong to? It still belongs to the Philistines. This is the land of the Philistines. And so that sets the stage for the story that is going to continue to develop throughout the Pentateuch and throughout the rest of of Scripture, in fact. The land promise was still unfulfilled. He owned not a sliver of it, And yet Abraham went on to sojourn amongst the Philistines, walking by faith and not by sight. Brothers and sisters, how is your walk? I ask you that question. Are you walking by faith and not sight? Are you living for the world to come? Is your hope in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells? That's where Abraham's hope was set. And my prayer for us is that we would lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely that we would run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Almighty God, our prayer is that You would grant that these words which we have heard today with our outward ears may by Your grace be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of Your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people say, Amen.